Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Capital Club Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Excelsior Capital, an investment platform focused on democratizing private equity by providing individuals access to direct opportunities. To learn more about the firm in the Capital Club community, visit our website at www.excelsiorgp.com and connect with Brian on LinkedIn. Hello and welcome back to the Capital Club Podcast. I'm here with Doug Gray. Doug, thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure. Good morning. So as background, Doug is a father, husband, consultant, author, and former adventure racer who can still skate backwards. He is a consultant with the Family Business Consulting Group, where he specializes in leadership development, succession planning, and building family unity and enterprising families. And Interestingly, we are both in Nashville, which is always fun, but we also have some shared upstate New York roots, which uh, there's not many of us in this part of the world. So that's always a fun thing to get into a little bit. And I assume that's how the backwards skating is is from your time spent in that part of the world, I assume. It is. Now I don't even own skates. I'm a little embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a young man's game, in my opinion, but a lot of fun. So Let's get into to background. You know, I want to talk about the family business consulting group, but from upstate New York to Nashville, how'd you get here and how'd you get involved with the, the work that you do? Sure. The short answer is leadership development. I've always focused on helping people grow into their potentials. And that meant a bunch of different careers. So I finished my schooling in, in Minnesota and worked for Outward Bound for about a decade seasonally in a whole bunch of different locations, mostly in the U.S., and then taught at prep schools for about 10 years and thought that that was going to be a career I'd stay in for a long time. It was instructive. I was able to better understand the fact that kids away from their parents in boarding schools are much easier to deal with than kids at day schools with their parents occasionally intruding. Also, it gained insights into wealthy families and some of their concerns. 
But those two examples of leadership development led to a whole bunch of moves. So I met my wife in New Hampshire. We moved to Minnesota and then Maryland and then raised kids there. So we spent 10 years in DC and then 10 in Charlotte and then eight now in, in Nashville. She's pulling me south, Brian. You're you feeling the trend there. I'm familiar with that fact pattern. <laughs> and in that time, I, I think the short answer to maintaining the focus on leadership development is who are the clients you want to serve? So for me, it was people searching for insights into leadership and wilderness environments. And then it was young people wanting to step into their capacities at prep schools. And then it was in 97, I started this business, Action Learning Associates. It's my company. And began to work with families as well as all kinds of business leaders in various sectors. And that was delightful. And as I matured, my confidence matured and grew into more and more complex systems over time, as you might expect. So for a while, I worked at the University of Maryland in College Park and ran a co-ran a leadership development institute there for about eight years. That was instructive and realized that there's a lot more to this complexity of business leadership broadly. And I always wanted to get my PhD because my dad has a ZDD and my sister has a doctorate in nursing. So when the last kid went, went off to college and when we relocated here, we didn't know anybody. So that's when I re-embraced that doctoral study and I loved it. I did a bunch of research on positive psychology and coaching protocols in part because a client said, what are they? And I stuttered, there aren't any and there aren't many. And it's a concern to me. So, uh, I piloted some, globally validated them, and, and love that process, all of which is introductory to the Family Business Consulting Group. Well, and, and before we get there, for those who aren't familiar, could you maybe just give a recap what Outward Bound is? Sure. Started after World War II, I believe, by an English educator who was convinced that, that we could do something to teach young people how to be stronger and have more fortitude. In other words, to survive the war, there was evidence that those who were in their 30s seemed to do a better job than those in their 20s. And the question was, why? How do we, how do we create stronger character and moral fiber? So he developed a, a regimen for 24, 28 days for the British working people and sent them to these posh places and then quickly put them out onto pulling boats and the open sea between Ireland and Wales. And the premise is that when we're all tossed into a less familiar environment, we can grow and learn and we turn to one another, create the norms that we think are going to be successful as leaders. And that metaphor has stayed with me forever. Yeah. I mean, it's such a layup question to ask, but obviously that what you just stated must really strongly inform the work you do around business leadership. Yeah. We still create team charters often or norms or family guidelines. We determine or review them at the start of a call that could be difficult, like by three o'clock later today. And I'll review those guidelines as a reference so that we all determine how we want to play together. That's the wrong verb, how we want to work together. <laughs> yeah, that's an incredible organization. I definitely encourage people to, to check it out. They do great work, especially for youth leadership opportunities, especially. And then this teacher component, you know, I know we talked about this when we met over lunch. I went to an all boys private military school in upstate New York. My brother is an administrator at a school in Vail, Colorado. My wife teaches as an administrator here at an all-girls private school. So I'm tangentially involved with the private school landscape. But your comment about working with affluent families is really striking to me because when you're talking about those type of institutions, 
you really are working with, for the most part, a population that is can be very high profile, can be very high touch, has certain assumptions on things. What did you enjoy about teaching? What did you take away from it? And why did you ultimately you know, move on to a different profession? Boy, flashback time, huh? I, one of the things I enjoyed was their openness and desire to learn, especially away from the, their family of origin or their family system. Boarding schools can be transformative. You went to a day school, and that can also be. But I found that to be profoundly transformative. The old notion that only a kid who needs to be fixed gets sent to a prep school is silly and not my experience. There were marvelous people from all over the world who were supported by some benefactor, typically their parents, but could be an in-law, grandparent, or and uncle, who believed in their potential to be a greater person. What a lofty notion, right? It's not like attaboys. You go get them. Here's the financial support, and we love you, and we want you to excel. So go. Embrace everything. That's a great message. Yeah, it is. It, it can be transformative, and I agree with you. I think in certain parts of the world, especially, there's a stigma associated with it, but they're incredible institutions, and for the right child, student, unbelievable opportunity. So the, the Family Business Consulting Group, could you give us kind of the background on the institution, the mandate, the mission statement, and the work that you do there? Sure, happy to. It's the premier family consulting group in the world. So it's been around longer than any others, about 25 years. We're prolific. We write a lot of books. As a group, we've written 50, I think. And there's hundreds of articles on the website. So any listeners who would want a resource could go to www.thefbcg com, which is hard to say, the Family Business Consulting Group. There's not only articles, there's webinars and everybody. There's about 30 mostly PhDs or consultants throughout North America. We share a lot of content, but we also, what I love the most is there's this element of humility and humor. Uh, we get together quarterly for two or three days in Chicago, and that's where I was two weeks ago. <laughs> it's delightful. We share trends, content, case studies with one another, but also spend at least a couple hours in a peer resource group where we let our hair down and support one another. It's a tough field. There's exhaustion. We're dealing with the emotional challenges sometimes of really complex systems that have been perpetuated for decades. And sometimes people don't know how to support one another. So the FBCG is tremendous for that. We're all collaborating with team on, I guess, about 60% of our engagements. And it, it might be that I'll work with somebody at this phase of a family system or concurrently for various reasons. And we're experts. So it's also a delightful resource. We've got a back-end system with all kinds of documents that we can reference should we need them. But I can call anybody at any time. So if I'm stressed or overwhelmed, I know that one of the authors in our field, one of the premier people is going to take my call and help me instantly. That's incredibly valuable. So I joined the Family Firm Institute and went to a conference pre-COVID in Miami, and I was sort of loosely recruited. I didn't know how good the FBCG was. <laughs> so I was humbled and delighted. And I walked away from a session there with a book, The 25-Year History, that Craig Aronoff and others had just published. So I read it on the plane on the way back, and I told my wife, you know, these guys are impressive. They're pretty legit. And as an onboarding tactic, that history is tremendous. It was insightful, instructive in countless ways. And it made me realize that I'm at a 
at a phase of my life where I wanted to team with others in that way to serve our clients. So it's been, it's been really good. Great people. Yeah. So do you have a typical engagement or do you have a specific niche within the broader organization that you focus in? I do. And as you might not be surprised, it's leadership development. And I like working with next-gen leaders. To be clear, that could be somebody who's in their 20s or in their 50s if the owners have not yet determined that Brian's going to take over the firm at whatever point. That can be paralyzing for people. So often what they need is an external assessment. This morning I was working on a report, for instance, of G3 family that's I think got 50 or 60 properties, mostly commercial, but real estate and, and some are ag properties. That's their core business, but they've got so many entities and about 30 people involved now that they create LLCs with the initials of those people. And they want to know, well, what does G3 really want? They've created a family council. They've got now three independent board members, so they're maturing in the right directions. So I was asked to interview all the G3s collect the data, share the data in collective and then more detailed ways so that they can have a game plan or a road, roadmap to develop some of those good people. That's delightful stuff. I love doing it. It's critical to have an external person do that work and it's too often ignored. We talk about succession, we talked about continuity, but we don't often have structures to make it happen. I love doing that. So how do you typically get involved? Do you get a phone call from a family member, a non-family member who's an executive within the family business. I mean, what's the typical pathway for you to get kind of connected with the family itself? Yeah, it's almost always referral-based. We've got a, an amazing pipeline. I'm told there's, don't quote me on this, but some 20,000 people on our on our mailing list. We've got a list of potential board members that's about 2,000 vetted people. We've got people who help with that selection process. And then to your point, if anybody says, can you work with our family business? We've got a team that looks at the consultants and asks, well, who might be best for this engagement and why? They'll vet through the family, a series of interviews, two questions. What are the themes you're looking for? What's the expertise that you're looking for? And then what are the skills that that consultant needs to bring to the table? And they'll recommend that consultant and introduce them to that family system in a call. After that, if it makes sense, I'll pitch whatever services seem appropriate at that time for that engagement. And it's tremendously successful. They've already bought in. They haven't paid anything for that until they want to work with us and then we'll charge a small fee. But the point is, it's a matching process. It's tremendously successful. It's pre-qualifying your buyers and it's making sure that you've got the, the best expert in North America to work with them. So <laughs> I like your comment earlier about the definition of a next-gen because when I got involved in the family office world 15 years ago, next gens were considered, you know, 35 to 45, maybe 40 and under. That definition has steadily crept up as this baby boomer generation has continued to live longer than I think a lot of people thought and stay engaged longer than many people thought. And now this definition of next gen is really very broad. What are you seeing trend-wise within the families you're working with? Because as I've mentioned on the show a lot recently, even though we've talked about this transition happening and it's been foretold, I think it actually kind of is taking place now in practice. So are you seeing that reflective in the engagements you have with families currently? Absolutely. And I'll give you a couple couple examples. One is a, a recent 
talk I gave at, do you know, First National Bank of Omaha, they're the largest privately owned bank in the country. So I went to Omaha. They had a special event for their clients. And as you probably know from most private events like that, they try to do it right and, and take care of the people. And so I was the meat and potatoes guy for an hour and a half and gave them all kinds of resources and examples of innovation in family businesses. The fact is most are paper-based and digital is on the horizon, but they really don't know how to migrate toward that. Most are looking at security issues and aren't aware of the risks that they may or may not be exposed to. Most have no idea that cybersecurity insurance has increased, what, 700% in the last 12 months? Don't quote me on that, but that's the scale. It's, it's vast. And most are sitting on the fear that you probably have addressed with many of your clients or conversations. We're looking at the biggest transfer of wealth, some say 74 million trillion, must be trillion now. And what I see are two patterns. The older gen is looking at their assets and they're saying, boy, I really wish I knew if my children or successors have the capacity to take on these responsibilities. I wish I knew. That's why they can't sleep at night. And the younger generation is saying, what does it take? How do I prove my capacity to the owners, whether it's one or four owners? It doesn't matter. It's very hard. So the trend toward innovation is one example. The second example is an assessment that is phenomenal that I, I recently co-created. It's called Assess Next Gen. It's a 360 leadership assessment. And there's information at that website, assessnextgen.com. And I created it with a colleague from the FBCG, Kent Rhodes, who's at Pepperdine. He's brilliant. He's been in the firm for 17 years. I've only been in three. So I think he added maturity or something and uh, credibility. But we uh, have found Family business leaders in particular don't have multi-rater 360 assessment data. They don't have that feedback. So we customized a process that's twofold, digital, quantitative, to what extent is Brian this or that. It's all behavioral stuff. And there's 50 questions. They reflect the, the five systems that exist in all family business, the family system, the business system, the ownership system, the individual, the individual's capacity to fit, whether they're 50 or 30 is the biggest question. That's what Iowa psychology is all about industrial organizational psychology. And that's where the conflict happens. And the fifth system is the learning system. To what extent is a family willing, willing to learn and grow and evolve? Those that are are more receptive to this assessment process. So those are the five systems. And then there's a qualitative piece that happens as well. But maybe I should add, the other thing that's unique about this assessment is we ask the owners for their feedback and then the managers, then the direct reports, peers, family, and boards. In other words, there's seven different rater groups and then the self. So that when the individual score is contrasted with all those six other groups, we get a really detailed 28-page report that itemizes the, the work that that leader needs to do ahead. This is unheard of in the world of behavioral psychology. This is unheard of in, in the world of family businesses. So it's taken off. It's delightful. We haven't advertised at all, but a lot of our colleagues in the firm are using it and there's two versions. So one's for family members. And, and as you know, the bigger set is non-family members. So the two different versions that, that have been validated. Part of my background is psychometrics. And I'm impressed by the results that we're getting already. For instance, tomorrow I'll travel to Dallas and work with a G1 owner who's got one son in the business and then seven others. And he doesn't want to lose them. He's got, he's 72 years old. He doesn't want to lose any of these people. So he asked, Doug, could you possibly do these assessments and these interviews with all eight of my people on my leadership team? I said, absolutely. He said, ah, oh, that'd be worth a million bucks. 
I said, great, charge a fraction of that. And let's keep going. <laughs> For him, it is worth a million bucks because he represents that older group that can't sleep. Long answer, but two things, innovation and necessity. Next Gen Leaders. Does the current market environment have you reevaluating your investment strategy? There may be alternative opportunities you have yet to consider to safeguard your portfolio. We've created an exclusive guide for Capital Club listeners featuring the top alternative investments to consider when strategizing for inflation. Download it today at excelsiorgp.com slash download to learn how you can protect your portfolio, diversify your assets, and take advantage of tax benefits in today's market. That's excelsiorgp.com slash download. No, I mean, I think that's instructive. And the conversation I have with most of the families that I engage with that are trying to struggle through this transition. So what's best practice if a family business is engaged with you and they're undergoing this assessment? I assume that, and you've written about this, but the quality of the data and the metrics that you receive will be the throughput in terms of the data analysis that you get on the other end, correct? It is, and it's half of it. So half of it is the scores, one to five or one to 10. But the other half is interviews. So I'll reach out to all the people in that Raider group. If Brian submitted 20 people to rate Brian, then I'd send an email invitation to 15 or 30 minute calendars invites for Doug to ask them three questions. What should Brian start doing, stop doing and continue doing? Behavioral questions, well vetted, used by a lot of us in business psychology and collect all that data, put it together and provide you with multi pages of themes. So if two or more people say the same thing, I'm assuming it's representative of something broader that Brian ought to consider. That's hugely valuable. So what the net result is, people get customized feedback that they've probably never received in their careers. Families are good at being indirect, which can lead to all kinds of passive avoidant behavior. <laughs> Did I tell you I used to ref hockey games? <laughs> if you, you do have that vibe about you, I'm not going to lie. I, I would yeah. consider you an authority figure on the ice for sure. <laughs> Even without skates. All right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So you do this comprehensive analysis, this assessment, and then you, who gets the, this is always kind of interesting to me. Our family went through this recently. Uh, we didn't have family business any longer, but our, our family office. How do you present the research and your findings and the assessment? Does everybody get a chance to look at it? Is only one point of contact? Is that part of the negotiation on the front end? It's a perfect question, Brian. And I'm glad you've had that experience, and I hope it wasn't negative. Here's the bottom line. There are no protocols for 360s. Psychologists use them in various ways. I won't name the firm, but I've got examples of a huge human capital firm that would provide 360 assessments to someone, say, in their 20s or 30s. And they believed that it was the HR department or the company's property. That assessment would then be pulled up by HR when somebody's in their 50s and looking at a senior VP position and sometimes was used inappropriately. So it's a little bit like poking a, a beehive or poking a bear. It can be used horribly. It can be unethical. And I hope that that was not your experience. The short answer is that we make sure, because Kent and I have been doing this for a long time, we make sure that the detailed feedback goes directly into the hands of the leader. It's theirs. It's confidential, and it's theirs. I was in Virginia a few weeks ago with a G1 owner who said, well, I want to know my son's feedback. And the son's sitting in the room. And the son says, Dad, I don't want you to know. <laughs> and I said, I'm with the son. What we do is provide the confidential data to the son or to the leader so that they have it and they can, they can run 
then provide an executive summary with snapshots or some of the pages from the digital part, which is all the older generation really needs. They need some directional feedback for how to help that person develop the skills and competencies that they need, but they really don't need the details. So that distinction is, is serving us well. That's what I'd advocate. And uh, then you can avoid some of the beehive stuff. That sounds about on track with our experience. We you know, Everything was confidential. We had somebody from PwC come and interview us individually in terms of me, Brian, and my wife, et cetera. And then we did household ones. So we did my wife and I together. And he did third-party non-family members and then you know, came up with an assessment. And it was a good experience. It was positive. I think it was really healthy, good. honestly. My question for you is, do people follow your advice generally? <laughs> and how do you track that or how do you know? The short answer is I probably don't know, but generally they do, yes. And the, the other part of that answer is I typically, it's not an isolated event. Typically, I provide executive coaching or consulting and work with that leader for a period of time. An example comes to mind. There's a, a G3 family. They've got nine on this side, three on this side. So there's concerns about equity and distribution. And one of the nine, and I did a whole battery of assessments, not these, but different ones. And one of the nine is a VP of sales. He's, he's a go-getter, high on learning agility, really wants the feedback. So I provided this to him. And every other week we would meet for an hour, typically. He is implementing these things like very few clients have over time. I've been doing this work since 97. It's delightful to see somebody who's that engaged. Perfect example of a 35 to 40-year-old active owner with clarity about his career and wants to get it right because he's, he's just ambitious. So for one good one, there's, I don't know how many, not as active ones, but we do our best, right? Right. I mean, yeah, it's your job to put the solution out there. Follow-up, I think, is you know outside of your purview. And that's really where to kind of dovetail the broader conversation. To your point, if you have active, engaged leadership, hopefully they'll, they'll execute on the advice that they're, they're given. I want to talk a little bit more about this transition that many of these families are going through. You've written about distributed ownership and you've got some kind of best practices or, or protocols you think are useful for that. I'd love for you to get into that a little bit and talk about the definition of distributed ownership and then what those best practices are. Yeah, I wrote that article a couple of years ago, so you might have to refresh me, Brian. But uh, the gist is that how ownership is distributed over time is variable for every family. There are some things you should do and some things you should not do. So the gist of that article is here are the do's and here are the don'ts. And people can find it at the website I referenced earlier, the fbcg.com, and just look under my name. There's videos there as well from other things I've done. But I think some of my colleagues would probably say, Doug, you're not being as academic and, and cerebral and uh, ethereal as you ought to be. This is too pragmatic. Okay, I'll take that feedback. It's six or seven recommendations. For instance, don't avoid conflict. There's two kinds of conflict in, in life, task conflict and interpersonal conflict. Task conflict is a good thing. It leads to innovation. Iron sharpens iron. So when two people are of a different stance on a certain topic, how do we deal with this philanthropy or this investment? That's a good conversation. We want to foster that. We want drama in our meetings, whether they're virtual or direct, it doesn't matter. Interpersonal conflict is not good. And that's when people carry negative judgments from the past into the present and they're avoidable. So I'll address them head on. People don't need to bring up something that happened X, X number of years ago. And that leads to forgiveness. Well, 
that's the hardest form of love. How do we forgive those who we think have wronged us a decade ago? That requires individual work. So I didn't state this earlier, but most of my engagements are at two levels, individual and team, because that's how organizations change. That's how we all evolved. It'd be silly to coach or work with one individual instead of the team. And it'd be silly to work just with a team without working with the individuals. And you know that. We all know that. So when I think about behavioral changes, people need guidelines. How do I express to others that I forgive them, that I love them, that I have optimism about the future? That was kind of a rhetorical question, but you're probably looking at that article. Are there any of those points that you had a question? Yeah. About? I mean, the, the one in particular I, I love is, you know, this concept of eliminating triangulation from ownership yeah. discussions, because, you know, these family dynamics can be very powerful and from an outside third party confusing. I mean, I know when the PwC consultant came in for ours, he was doing his initial assessment and just wanted to get kind of a lay of the world that we are in as a family. And he said, do we need 30 minutes or 60? And I said, oh, we're going to need the hour, my friend. Like we have a lot to get into. And and part of it was just understanding that my wife has two sisters and these three women who are G2. You know, triangulation is a big problem for them, in my opinion, because who knows what information when is very hard to track for someone like me who's not part of that text thread. And so I just thought that that mentioned and that concept was a really powerful one. Hard to execute on, but I think really important to keep in mind. Yeah, it is important and it can be terrible. It can be toxic, you know that, especially if it's condoned by some elder in the family. We often talk about family champions. Who's the person who champions those conversations, for instance, about continuity? And it could be a, a matronly figure, mom, grandma, aunt, who says, this is right and this is wrong. The image that comes to my mind is those meetings in the kitchen table about business <laughs> or about continuity. And that person often will say, don't do this. And if they say, don't triangulate, but then triangulate, that creates all kinds of chaos, right? Behavioral chaos, not just cognitive. So one of the things I often teach is a great tool that a former business partner at Hopkins at, where is he? Georgetown. He started the uh, leadership coaching programs there taught me and I've used it for ever. And I know you can't see it, but it's a wheel like this. And you probably use scripts like, Brian, when you do this, I feel that. And I wish you would do X instead, right? We do that all the time. We know it works. It's based on behavioral psychology and cognitive behavioral therapy. This one's better. This one saved hundreds of careers, hundreds of marriages. And it's called the complete communication wheel because it asks, may I have two minutes of your time? And then you do the things that are underneath my thumb that you can't see. And then I'm complete. And then I ask, well, what would you like to do next? So it's, may I have two minutes of your time? Say what I need to say. What would you like to do next? And they carry on. They do what they need. We're not taught that in our schools and our families and our consulting. Why not? I think it's largely ignorance, but also we're not applying what we know from psychology and research validated stuff to the messy interactions. And the top two problems that every family has is communication and conflict. Yeah, and I know that I've learned over the years, kind of to your point on the wheel or the no cards you just referenced, using I statements is really important, right? When you're having these conversations. And then another powerful one that I've started leveraging a lot more within YPO, we have something called experience share, where if you're in a conversation with somebody, you don't say, you need to do this or you should do that. You say, in my experience, when I was confronted with a silver situation, I did this and I found that this worked or this didn't work. 
based on my kind of life experience. And that I think is a really powerful tool to have these conversations as well. It is. That's a great one. I'm glad you're using it. And then it's reinforced every time you have a meeting. So you'll hear it and you'll hear somebody else do it, right? Exactly. Right. It becomes a norm within the cohort they are in and it just self-reinforces. Another one that I want to get into is (laughs) do not ignore the in-laws. You know, as a (laughs) son-in-law, this is a very, something that's very close to my heart, but it's increasingly becoming pertinent because as this transition is happening intergenerationally, sometimes in-laws are included and sometimes they're not. And I've been in some conferences lately with some families who the spectrum is broad there in terms of many families do not involve them at all and don't plan to. And others, it could be a situation where the son-in-law or daughter-in-law is going to have a leadership position within the family. I mean, what are you what do you feel is best practice? What do you coach and tell your families that you work with on that front? Oh boy, listen to the loved ones. In-laws often went in with eyes wide open. Your wife, for instance, picked you. You, for instance, picked her. So in theory, you've got some insights into the family system. However, little you know about it. (laughs) Back in the early courtship days, I guess. But those insights are are instructive and often really important, directionally important. As we all mature, we take on new skills and competencies. It could be that a non-family member, a married-in leader, is more capable than anybody else at serving in the family office. Thank goodness they're more capable because we need somebody who with the skills to step into that capacity. And the, the numerical fact is, you know, that three triangle or Venn diagram with three circles that's commonly used, family, business, and owners. Well, numerically, the family circle ought to be about this big, right? <laughs> the business ought to be that much bigger. And the ownership is however sized it is, but it's pretty small as well. Why don't we focus more on the business side? In other words, how do we school up those who are not family members, to be tremendous leaders. Numerically, we ought to, right? It's statistically improbable that the family is going to continue unless they do that. So not only do we need to teach them, we need to help them gain confidence and assume responsibilities, have career ladders so that, or matrices, whatever metaphor works, so that they have clarity about their role in the family. If you were to go to a family business meeting or a family council meeting or family office and not say your word, you bite your tongue the whole time, in my experience, you're doing a disservice to the growth of the family and their, their capacity to have good test conflict and make smart investments. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and this is really, I think, a situation where definitions can get in the way of just common sense. And if, you know, these people are accreted to the organization, they should be in- included. Just common sense. Does that really exist? <laughs> <laughs> it depends on the family. You know, it blows my mind sometimes talking with these very affluent intelligent, powerful families that just, they just have trouble doing the very basic things. It seems like there's a role here for us as consultants or as married ends. And that's to speak truth to power with love. We can model that forgiveness. We can model that love. We can model that support, whatever the right words are in ways that no one else can. That's your contribution, by the way, to that family system. I appreciate that. And uh, yeah, you're doing the good work. And it's interesting because I do feel like increasingly these families and especially these older first gen, it's like my father-in-law who 10 years ago, I think they would have been, or a generation ago, much more 
unwilling to have a third-party consultant come in and see the dirty laundry. But I've been advocating for a long time that every family should have kind of a business consultant on retainer, a therapist on retainer. And it's striking to me that people are willing to pay these exorbitant fees for estate planning, for investments, but then doing the actual hard work on the family itself always gets put to the back burner seemingly. So I'm glad that conversation is changing, that dynamic is shifting. The other point of that example is there's more of a team approach to the family system as there needs to be. We raise our family with teams. We have teams of advisors and medical advisors and financial advisors who support our, our nuclear family, right? Well, why would, we need to do the same. We always partner with attorneys and accountants and ask who's on your team, who's not on your team, who do you need to have on your team? Do you need some names or references? Yeah. Teams win. Individuals fail. I agree. Well, Doug, this has been tremendous. I'm glad that we could get this on the books, especially considering you're in my backyard. For my listeners, I hope you've enjoyed this conversation. Please leave a rating and a review and let us know your favorite part of this discussion with with Doug. And, and Doug, if folks are interested in connecting with you, learning more about the leadership assessment work that you're doing or the family business consulting group, what's the best way for them to get in touch? Well, I referenced it earlier, but the fbcg.com is the family business consulting group.com, not the First Baptist Church of Georgia. <laughs> and it's meant to be a joke. And the other website is assessnextgen.com. And you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm not always responsive there, but the best way is to use those two websites. Happy to be resourced. And our team is geographically dispersed. So if any of your folks have a specific need or specialty that they want some experts in, I'd, I'd encourage you to just reach out to the firm. Yeah, I definitely want to urge people to go check out the website. They have incredible content. They're always producing some really good stuff, both blogs, research papers, interviews, Zooms, webinars, anything you can imagine. It's an incredible resource. And Doug, a question that I ask folks to come on the show as we wind down here, is there a daily practice that you have that helps bring peace to your life? Several. I never take calls before 9 a.m. because I've learned. I spend the morning typically with uplifting reading and sit in the sunroom, talk with my wife, play with the dog, and physical activity every day, learning every night. You can tell from my backdrop, I've got a book problem. There's lots of books in the backdrop. <laughs> yeah. Those are daily practices. I've got lists on my door that reflect the fact that, like any former athlete, I'm pretty structured, so I'm goal-oriented. And I have shared those for decades with our kids who are now 26 and 27. And they'll come by and they'll say, huh, good month this year, huh? Oh, what happened this month? <laughs> they'll see the P&L. They'll see my passionate action goals, the things that are important to me on a monthly basis. And I, I think that is a structure that I'll probably always keep. I love it. Thank you for sharing that with me. And thank you for the time and the conversation. I look forward to staying in touch and keep doing the good work out there. You too, Brian. And all your listeners, keep it up. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of The Capital Club. If you enjoyed what you heard in this episode, please like, rate, or leave us a review. And stay tuned for our next episode coming soon. Hold up. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.